Hey fadies, I'm Dean Brad, and I want to say a big thank you for downloading and listening to this special episode. We realise that we've had a lot of new listeners lately, thank you for that everybody, and with so many episodes and so much story, it might be a little intimidating to get started. So we decided to create this episode, which is a brief narrative recap of every significant thing that has happened to our heroes since they met, right up to the latest episode, chapter 3, episode 13. So if you want to start listening to our show, but you're not sure how best to get caught up, this is the perfect thing for you. Uh, Please note that uh, for the sake of brevity, however, this episode leaves out all of the comedy, sarcasm, hijinks, and absurdity that makes The Fate of Ison what it is. It also skips over all the many times that the jerks, I I mean, (laughs) the players, make me jump through hoops in a vain effort to keep up with their antics. If you like what you hear in this story recap and you want to get a real feel for what the show actually is, then you might want to go back and pick a handful of episodes from each chapter. To all our regular listeners who have been with us for a long time already, thank you so much for your continued support. We really, really appreciate that you're along for this ride with us. And now here it is, the whole story so far. Ison is a world of adventure, danger, fantasy and magic. Every 800 years an immense wave of raw magical energy known as the Surge bursts forth from Ison's core. This energy can be harnessed by rare people called wielders, who can hold the magic inside themselves and use it to become powerful, almost godlike sorcerers without equal. However, if no wielders are present at the time of the Surge, the raw magic comes to Ison untethered, causing catastrophic global destruction. Storms, floods, winds, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions change the very shape of the world, bringing its citizens to the brink of extinction, and leaving the few survivors to crawl from the rubble, starting civilization anew. The next surge is due any day now, and as yet, no wielders have been found. However, most people in Ison have completely forgotten about the surge, the primary concern on most minds is the ever-growing, ever-conquering Arkvale Empire. This once peaceful kingdom has spent the last few decades spreading across Ison's main continent, leaving only a few independent kingdoms standing. Arkvale's most recent acquisition, Airedale, is a devout religious kingdom of Brune, the god of order. The premier of Airedale saw the inevitability of the Empire's success, and in the name of order, actively aided the Empire in defeating their neighbouring kingdoms of Cyrus and Bruss, before laying down its own arms in surrender. Airedale opened its gates to Empress Tajna and in doing so lost its autonomy, but was spared the gruesome conquest that had befallen the other kingdoms in the Empire's wake. A great number of Airedale's citizens were in open outrage at their leader's cowardice and began protesting and rioting in the holy city of Brune, Airedale's magnificent capital. These protesters were mercilessly slaughtered by a joint military force of Empire soldiers and Airedale's own Holy Legion. This led to the formation of the United Arkvale Resistance, an underground organisation with the goal of undoing the Premier's cowardly decision and taking back Airedale from their new foreign masters. Resistance founder Killian Rett arrived in the sleepy town of Farhaven looking for recruits. Only three were brave enough to stand up and show strength against the Empire, a human barbarian named Banfor Watt, a half-elf bard named Marley Kraff, and a gnome rogue named Trestlespoon Durr. Killian gave the new recruits a mission to deliver an important letter to the town of Dapton on the other side of the raging Lifeblood River. 
the group successfully reached Apton and delivered the letter to a merchant named Smith Corman. Smith Corman gave the recruits a new mission to break into an underground storage bunker and steal a cartload of goods the resistance needs. In the underground bunker they encountered some undead enemies and a strange talking gemstone which they named Jim. They returned to Smith and were introduced to a nobleman named Trantis Grifton, who was seeking a group to escort him to the city of Dantonere. The recruits travelled with the nobleman and a hog named Foxworthy over the lifeblood crossing and eastward towards the big city. Along the way they came to the small village of Fort Pithlock, where they learned that a number of rowdy Arkvale soldiers had taken up residence at the fort and had kidnapped all of the village's young women. Lord Trantis offered assistance after being advised to do so by the shadowy demonic voice in his mind. Trestlespoon slinked away from the group when he spied what he thought might be one of the members of his lost community. He trudged through the swamp and found a dilapidated cottage. Inside his former childhood crush Lavicius Grinmark, who was in the service of some kind of demon, had taken two humans hostage and planned to devour them. Trestlespoon defeated Lavicius and rescued the humans. The demon turned into a raven and fled. The humans gave him a rare wand of mass healing as a thank you for saving them. Meanwhile, Banfor Marley and Lord Grifton entered the fort through a secret entrance and took care of the soldiers one by one. After brutally killing the soldier's leader, the voice in Trantis's mind ordered him to murder the women. He obeyed without question, and when the heroes tried to stop him, they were thwarted by a wall of shadow that sprouted from the nobleman. The women were all struck down by Trantis's sword before the shadow enveloped him, and they both disappeared. Trestlespoon rejoined his friends immediately after Lord Grifton's betrayal. Jim the Talking Gemstone informed them that the women's hearts were still faintly beating and there was a slim chance they could be saved. Using a combination of spells, potions, desperation and Trestlespoon's wand of mass healing, they were successful. They then led the women out of the fort and dealt with the remainder of the soldiers. In the morning, they continued to Dantonere where they were met by a resistance member posing as an Arkvale soldier. He guided them to the secret headquarters behind the Jester's Gravy Boat Inn. When they arrived, Marley was greeted warmly by her childhood friend, the river that flows forever east. They came up with a name for their group, the Apple Squadeth. While River and Marley caught up over a drink, Banfor and Trestlespoon were shown an amazing discovery by Zathan Cree, the local resistance leader. Zathan took them to the underground city they had just found that morning, which seemed to be centred around an enormous temple to Hadet, the god of knowledge. Marley got drunk and had a duet with the famous bard Sprite McSteamface, who just happened to be playing that night. Jim the Gemstone warned that while she was having fun, Banfor and Trestlespoon were probably getting into trouble. Marley, River and Jim raced to the underground city just in time to see their friends facing off against some stone guardians. When the fighting was done, Jim announced that he felt a very powerful force pulling him into the temple. They all entered and encountered some ancient water-damaged libraries and inky black monsters roaming the halls. When they reached the heart of the temple, Jim desperately begged to be let into a sealed stone room. Trestlespoon found the entrance and Marley dropped Jim into an indentation on the altar inside. There was a blinding flash of light. They all saw a vision of past versions of themselves returning Jim to the temple just as they had now. At the end of the vision, Banfor, Marley and Trestlespoon found themselves in a futuristic realm with flying vehicles and mechanical life forms. 
they eventually came face to face with Hadet, the god of knowledge. Hadet told them that Jim is actually what's known as a god heart. Each god has a relic in the material world that contains a doorway to their realm. He also told them the location of Trestlespoon's lost community, including his brother, Squathelsquad. He informed them that the Death Heart, the god heart containing the doorway to Sorgamul, the god of death, is in the same location as the missing gnomes. He said both Sorgamul and Urzak, the god of chaos, have laid claim to Banfor and named him their champion, something which has never been done in the history of Isen. When they returned to the material realm, they had amazing new magical weapons and some incredible new skills. Trestlespoon and Marley took thousands of ancient gold coins and gems, while Banfor defended the library from the inky monsters. They returned to the surface and were given a new mission, rescue High Priestess Rhea from the locked temple district, where she was being held captive. Marley planned an elaborate concert to serve as a distraction, while Trestlespoon snuck into the tower to rescue the priestess. In the process, Banfor kidnapped Spritey McSteamface and dragged him back to the Resistance headquarters. The UAR entered its next phase, mass recruitment. Cells were distributed throughout the continent, with the Applesquadeth accepting a diplomatic mission to recruit the former queen of the neighbouring kingdom of Bruss. Trestlespoon wrote a letter to inform his brother Squathelsquad that he was coming, and employed a mouse and a pigeon to carry it to the mountains behind Bruss's capital city, Stonemoor. The Squadeth journeyed east with Spritey McSteamface in tow, and Trestlespoon was convinced that a raven was following him. They met a wizard named Fadan who joined them as they fought various creatures who terrorised a small town called Sorm. They were separated from Spritey when they discovered a boulette tunnel leading south toward the Brugian Mountains. At the end of the tunnel they found an enormous chamber and fought a fire giant. They then slipped through a crack into a mine system which led to Fadan's childhood home, the town of Kerim. In the mines they encountered a friendly ogre named Graflet who warned them that the town of Kerim was currently under attack and it would be foolish to continue. Fadan, wanting to save his people, exited the mine, secretly entered the town under the cover of darkness. He found a pocket of survivors and led them to the northeast, while the Squadeth led the ogre army back into the mines. Graflet led the Squadeth into the heart of the giant's lair as his fake prisoners. They were taken to Strakon, the fire giant leader, who was in the middle of rallying hundreds of ogres, hellhounds, trolls and grimlocks, into a mass attack on the surface world. Trestlespoon was removed from his friends and thrown into a pit with hundreds of captive gnomes. He found his brother Squathelsquad, who informed him that a raven had arrived mere moments before and had made a deal to grant Squathelsquad the power to save his people in exchange for servitude. Trestlespoon rejoined his friends and found them talking with an orc-shaped shadow who introduced itself as Bedemus, herald of Sorgamul, the god of death. Bedemus had been granted a brief burst of destructive power in order to help the Squadeth retrieve the nearby Death Heart so they can return it to its home in Stonemore. With Bedemus's help, they ploughed through hundreds of foes and retrieved the Death Heart. Squathel Squad aided in the fight, wielding dark magic and seeming to take sadistic pleasure in his newfound power. When all the fighting was done and all the ogres and fire giants had been vanquished, the raven transformed into a small demon and introduced itself as Chet Grish. It revealed the true nature of the deal Squathel Squad had foolishly made, leading Trestlespoon to make the toughest decision of his life. After spending nearly 200 years searching for his brother, he then killed him as an act of mercy 
to spare him from the fate that had befallen Levisius in the swamp cottage. As Chekrish tried to flee, Marley let off a lucky shot from her crossbow and killed the tiny demon. Trestlespoon bid a tearful farewell to Banfor and Marley so he could lead his people to a new beginning. Marley and Banfor rested for the night in the giant's lair, but awoke chained to a wall across from an ogre and a tiefling. This ragtag group worked together to escape, fight a nest of wetter folk, and defeat a wetor named Pator Jaxon, who had been dormant for centuries but had woken up with plans to spread wetter folk across the world. They escaped the wetter lair and journeyed down the northern face of the great Brugian mountains with the city of Stonewall far below. They found a hidden chamber behind the royal keep and were attacked by a gnome woman who called herself the Castle Guardian. They met a monk called Kyrene and Marley befriended a wolf named Hodge. Just then a demon called the Ziglamel appeared and said she was the herald of Urzak, the god of chaos. She bestowed upon Marley and Banfor a chaos curse as a punishment for killing Chet Grish. Together with Kyrene and Hodge, they ventured beneath the royal keep and encountered the ghost of Tok Stonemore, the ancient founder of the city and the first king of Bruss. Hadet gave them a mission to deliver a new invention, a wristwatch, to an inventor in the city named Shabs. They found an inn called the Necropodicon and Marley accidentally spread a rumour that Spritey McSteamface was going to play a duet with her. Banfor extracted a fortune in gems from Hadet's dimension locker and headed to the Vice District to enact a secret plan of his own. Marley's rumour spread throughout the city and the venue filled up with expectant patrons. Spritey eventually appeared and reconnected with Marley who filled the sprite in on what they'd been doing and what they planned to do next. Banfor hired an alchemist to invent a new drug, then took over a small gang called the Poison Tip. He turned the Poison Tip into a Sorghumul death cult and planned to use them to distribute his drug. Marley delivered the wristwatch to Shabs the inventor who used a part from the device to power an invention of her own, a clockwork humanoid named Afimata. Marley left to get tickets to an upcoming event at the fighting arena The Killing Grounds, then went to the worship district to try make amends with Urzak, after killing Chet Grish. Banfor and Marley reunited in the worship district just as a hole in reality opened and a gigantic clockwork scorpion appeared. As they prepared to fight, Afimata the clockwork man appeared and introduced itself as Zero, a demon from one of the knowledge realms. After the fight, Zero disappeared and the squadeth fled the scene. They went to Shabs to demand answers. She knew no more than they did, so they consulted with Hadet, who revealed that the scorpion entered through a rift that was caused when Zero came to the world. They left and were warned by a young thief that Spritey had betrayed them to the Empire and outed them as resistance members. They followed the thief to the headquarters of the largest gang in the city, the Gloves. They were greeted by Banfor's childhood friend Jareen, who welcomed them with open arms. Jareen explained that his people had spied on Spritey and overheard him telling Arkvale guards all about Marley and Banfor's mission. He also told them that the unnamed, undefeated champion of the Killing Grounds is actually Banfor's father, a man who abandoned him when he was only two years old. Jareen said that if Banfor and Marley were captured, they would probably be taken to the Killing Grounds to fight the undefeatable champion, and be executed publicly in front of a hundred thousand spectators. He suggested they go willingly, and instead use it as an opportunity to show the crowd how powerful the resistance is, giving them a beacon of hope.
So that's everything. Demons, gods, talking gemstones, reunions, resistances, sprites, fire giants, more demons, more gods, death, drugs, and rock and roll. One thing that the recap doesn't mention is when the Squadith ran into a woman called Tarin. She wasn't important to their story so far, but she is extremely important to spoiler, 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 spoiler. Before I say goodbye, I want to give a special thank you to our supporters over on Patreon, without whom we couldn't be doing this. That's Alex White Robinson, person who wants to stay anonymous, Robert Baldino, Irene Cucci, Laura Christine Goodwin, James Blyseth, Cy J. Hodgkins, Laura Douglas, Mel Ziegler, Roger Affamata, Sam Malcolm, Kydron Faust, and our newest supporter, Lauren Flake. If there's anything else you want to know about our story, please feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at Fate of Eisen, uh, on the Necropoticon Discord server, or good old-fashioned fateofison at gmail.com. Hi there. Don of How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast here. Just want to let you know that the show you're listening to is a member of the Necropoticon Podcast Network. Head over to necropoticon.com to find tons of other shows you'll love. While you're there, check out the cast and crew profiles and fan art galleries. And you have a beautiful night.